ask you to give your attention to the reading of God's word now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the children, you might listen as I read this and and listen for uh, some kind of strange ways that Paul talks about our body. He's going to talk about a house, a tent, a habitation, and he's going to talk about clothing and even being naked. So uh, some things in this passage that you, as you listen, I want you to hear I'm going to be explaining them about how it it points our attention to uh, the resurrection of our bodies. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 8. This is God's word. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather than rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Yesterday, I attended the funeral of Reverend Bob McFarland, a mentor to me as I served as an intern under him while I was in seminary, and someone that I participated in on a number of church planting commissions and committees. He was a friend. His death did not come as a surprise. His body was failing, but... Even so, while it was expected, I groan at the passing of a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. His funeral was in the Topeka congregation, my home congregation, the same congregation where a year ago we gathered to remember the life of my father. His burial was in Winchester, and I have a picture of his of. Bob's burial site, and my father's burial site, my grandfather and grandmother's burial site, and their parents' burial site. And in this last week, we learned of the passing of another RP pastor, Reverend Gordon Keddy. He's the author of a very warm devotional that I've has blessed our family, and I've shared it with some of you as well, the devotional prayers of the Bible. 
There were other notable passings. You might think of Reverend Tim Keller and others that are in the broader Christian community that have passed away just in this last week. I groan at the passing of faithful servants. Add to that those in our midst that have been touched by the frailty of our human bodies. Those that have and are even now wrestling against death itself through disease and cancer, and they know their own mortality because of that. And we groan under the hand of that last enemy, death. So today, in the face of death, I want to proclaim the victory of Jesus Christ. I've turned to 2 Corinthians 15, reminded of that sense of groaning that the Apostle Paul speaks of as he himself wrestles through the frailty and mortality of our human bodies and yet the immortality of our souls. And in this passage, Paul is going to answer a crucial question. What happens when you die? And what he proclaims is the assurance of the resurrection and of everlasting life in Jesus Christ. I'll summarize it this way. The death of your body doesn't destroy the soul or deprive your soul of a home. Rather, your soul will go immediately to heaven and your body will be raised when Jesus comes again. And so now you may rest in Jesus Christ and the hope of the resurrection. I want to begin by answering that question, what happens when you die? I'll begin by observing that there are a lot of different people who've tried to answer this through the ages. I'll call attention to a couple of ways that non-Christians answer it. Some uh, say that mankind are made up just of a physical body, and there is no such thing as a spiritual soul. To them, they think that when your body dies, you pass into nothingness. Some will even phrase it so crassly as to say you become the you become the food for worms. Well, that's sure exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Some will try to infuse this wretched life with something greater and grander. Maybe you're familiar with the words of Neil deGrasse Tyson, who said, We are stardust brought to life then empowered by the universe to figure itself out, and we have only just begun. Until you die, and then turn into dust, and the food for worms once again. For dust you are, dust you return. Without a soul, that's all there is. Or perhaps you may try to answer to some world religions do that our our bodies die and our life force is then reincarnated again, inserted into an endless 
and hopeless cycle of life and suffering and death? The Christian answer is different, markedly different. The Bible teaches us that God created us body and soul. We answer the question, what happens when you die, with this, that the souls of believers pass immediately into glory, and our bodies rest in the grave until the resurrection at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And at that point, the Lord will raise our bodies to be reunited with our soul, like we were meant to be. And throughout all eternity then, body and soul, we will enjoy the love and presence and glory of our triune God. There is a corresponding truth that you need to hear today as well, corresponding truth for unbelievers. This passage focuses on what happens to believers at their death, but it implies something as well. And you need to hear from the rest of Scripture that when Jesus Christ comes again, that the Lord will raise all bodies, the just and the unjust. And at this point, the souls of unbelievers also pass immediately not into glory, but into judgment, and the judgment of hell. And at the second coming of Christ, their bodies too will be raised again to an everlasting body to be reunited with their souls, to live forever under the judgment of God. The Bible warns us of this. The Bible warns us to flee the judgment to come by repenting of our sins and entrusting our soul and body to the, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is the emphasis of that passage. You need to hear that warning of the corresponding truth. But for now, I want you to rejoice in the assurance of the resurrection. And so... Think of Paul's answer here, and I want you to hear it in the context in which he wrote. For Paul is much concerned with this question about what happens when we die. It's not just us that ask this. It's an age-old question, isn't it? People throughout every age. And so back in Paul's first letter, in chapter 15, he proclaims that Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins. And he rose again from the dead, defeating Satan and sin and death. And since he was raised from the dead, we too have a hope of everlasting life, spiritually and physically. For the Lord Jesus Christ, says Paul, is reigning over all things. Even until he brings that last enemy death underneath his feet. And he says that that death will be swallowed up in victory. You can hear Paul, uh, Paul mimicking that here in this next, next verse where he says, or in this chapter where he says that death and the fear of death are swallowed up in life. Back in chapter, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, 
Where is your victory? So, what happens when we die? What happens to our bodies and what happens to our souls? In this passage, Paul talks about a certain separation for a time. And he uses two analogies that are very helpful for us to understand that that, that temporary separation of the body and soul that God had, had given to us. I want to move then to think of these two analogies. On your, on your notes, you can see uh, two analogies that are cited. They're the analogy of a house and the analogy of clothing, and I'll take those in turn. So Paul's first comparison or analogy is that Our body is an earthly house or a tent, and that God will give us a heavenly house. Here, I want you to recognize the connection of what Paul is saying to what Jesus proclaimed. Remember the words of Jesus? I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, many houses. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Paul takes that analogy now and speaks of it in the context of what happens when a believer dies. For there is something, there is a separation that takes place between soul and body. Look at verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So Paul compares our bodies to a a physical house. It It is a structure that will one day die should Jesus not come again in our lifetimes. Our bodies will one day be, be subject to the diseases that we see dear friends wrestling with. Our bodies will, will decay and break down. And yes, one day we all will die. We don't like to think about that. We like to press that far away from our thinking. But we will one day die. And what Paul says is that there is this temporary separation of our body and our soul. And that the immediate hope that we have is that our soul finds a home in heaven. Think again of Jesus' words. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. This is a very real fear for people in every age. In Paul's own age, the the teaching of, of the day amongst the Greek culture in which he lived described death in a, in a really uh, discouraging and frightening way. Talked about the soul being some, in some ways set free from the body, but then 
been getting lost on an eternal and endless, unsearchable sea. Just think about being tossed around forever on the, on the waves of the ocean. How dark and depressing that view of death is. And Paul confronts that uh, just really directly here, saying, no, that's not the case for your soul. You have an immediate home in heaven in Jesus Christ. That's why he died on the cross, to deliver you from, uh, from death, to deliver you from the death that we have spiritually and physically. And that fear is certainly one that may not have the same philosophical grounds as it did for the Greek, uh, for the Greek people, but uh, you feel the weight of despair that comes when our culture talks about death. Popular music is filled with this. Social media promotes a really really dark idea uh, about our, our, our human existence and its meaninglessness, and it proposes that, that maybe the only meaningful thing that you can do is to, is to kill yourself. That's their answer. In the context of this fear of death, Paul says... God has a home for us in heaven. God has a home for you. And it is a home that that stands against the hopelessness of this teaching and and has a sense of, of permanence, a habitation, a dwelling place that will last forever. It's prepared by Christ himself. As you are confronted with your own mortality or on days in which you groan under the grief, the passing of dear friends, or you see its effect in your own body. Think deeply about the home in heaven that Christ has prepared for you. The second analogy is the analogy of clothing. It's a little bit of a mixed uh, mixed metaphor in that He mixes up clothing and houses at the same time. But listen to verses 2 and 3. For in this we groan, there's that groaning again, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. There's an interesting uh, tie-in here that Paul has with the the shame of nakedness, something that runs really throughout all of Scripture. It's not a good thing to be naked. In this passage, Paul talks about our, uh, our being unclothed or being naked as if to be, as referring to being our soul without a body. Which is indeed part of what happens at our death. 
Remember, that, as I've said already, that God created us to be body and soul. That is the natural way for us to exist. It is the good way that God has made us to be exist. And the separation of the body and soul is unnatural. There is heaven for our souls. We have a home in heaven. We go there immediately and are full of joy, but that's not the end. There's something more, and that something more is great and it's glorious. The resurrection of our bodies and reunification of our body with our soul so that throughout all of eternity we will enjoy the presence of God. So, There is some sense in which our soul is naked when we die. But it is clothed in that habitation which is from heaven. And there's that mixed metaphor. Then Paul goes on in verse 4. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality might be swallowed up by life. Here's where the resurrection comes in. He's already alluded to the fact that when we die, we immediately go to heaven, to that habitation in heaven. But that's not all. There is something more. We, we do not want to be unclothed, but further clothed. And that this mortality might be swallowed up by life. And the way that that happens is through the resurrection of our bodies. Paul has said in 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 that when Christ comes he will raise our bodies to life everlasting that what is is perishable must put on imperishableness and what is mortal must put on immortality and we'll all be changed in the twinkling of an eye and there will be life everlasting that second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's, that, that's the consummation, that's the, that's the hope and the coming the, the, that is attached to the coming of Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say? Some have taken it to say he longs for death. And it's tempting to treat our bodies in this way. I want to caution you about this. Uh, there are well-meaning individuals who, uh, who talk about uh, our, our bodies becoming, uh, weighing down our souls. Even some that talk about it as a cage or prison that holds our soul. And that goes back to an ancient heresy as well that says the body is bad and the spirit is good. And the death actually sets us free from that. That is, that is, that's right out. <laughs> that is not the Bible. Body and soul are good. God made us that way. And our bodies do decay because of sin, and it's grievous. We groan because of that. Uh, death is an enemy, and it has, has terrible effects. But Jesus Christ, God, God's own son, came in the flesh. He is God incarnate. He rose from the dead 
to defeat death. So that we might have that very same hope. So if you look at verse 4, Paul doesn't long from death. He even says that we don't want to be unclothed, and that's where, where he's referring to death. In fact, he implies that that is unnatural, as I've pointed out. It's not good for the soul to be naked. What does he want? To be further clothed. He wants the promised eternal life of heaven and the promised resurrection of our bodies, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Well, this gives us hope in the face of death. And I'll close this by looking at verses 5 through 8 and seeing how Paul meditates on the impact that that has for us right now. For we are on this side of the grave, on this side of glory. Other saints have walked before us, and we follow in their footsteps. And they have gone on into the presence of the Lord. I've said that I groan in the face of death. But Jesus leads me and leads you to hope in the face of death. To this end, verse 5 says that God has prepared us for this very thing. He has prepared us for the inheritance that is in heaven. He has prepared us to walk in this life looking forward to the next, knowing that this is not the end, but there is something more. The Lord is drawing us along by his own hand on us, drawing us into his presence. And he has given us a pledge to this effect. The pledge is the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Trinity, The Father has promised this. The Son has accomplished it. And the Holy Spirit is given as a guarantee of the resurrection. When you face the fears of death, you can think of the promise of the resurrection of the dead, of being clothed once more in in an immortal body. changed from our mortal body, an immortal body. The pledge that is given by that, uh, to this effect is the Holy Spirit himself. And so Paul then muses about being home and away. <laughs> right now, we are at home in our body, but absent from the Lord. And that doesn't mean we're not saved. Uh, that we are always, by faith, children of God, but see it in the context of this idea of answering the question of what happens when we die, our bodies and souls. Well, right now, we are in our bodies. One day, we will see Jesus face to face, and beyond that, we will be resurrected. But right now, from our perspective, we are at home in our bodies and away from the Lord. And there will be a day when we will be at home with God and away from our bodies. We can be confident in the midst of this, walking by faith, not by sight, which is exactly what Paul says. 
We don't know experientially or experimentally or scientifically what happens when we die, besides becoming dust. We rely on the promise of God, and so we walk by faith and not by sight looking to a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who has gone before us to defeat death, who has risen again from the dead, who has ascended on high and will come again. And at his coming, at a great shout and the sound of the trumpet, the dead will be raised, will be with him forever. This isn't in your own strength that you persevere whether that strength be physical or mental or even spiritually. You could find pride in your ability to keep going under the afflictions that your body suffer. You may take pride in, uh, in a, a mental mindset that helps you to persevere. But all of those fail. It is by faith that we walk, looking to those promises of God. So while we live in this mortal life, we rest on God's promises that he will immediately receive us into heaven upon our deaths and then raise our bodies at the second coming. That gives us confidence to live for him. It gives you peace to die. As Paul puts it succinctly elsewhere, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do you groan in the face of death? We do. And there's a a right reason for that. Paul expresses it in this passage. We groan at the effects of sin. We groan that there is that last great enemy. It's grievous to be parted from loved ones. And yet, and yet, death is not the end, and death is not the victor. Jesus is. And there is life everlasting for you and Jesus. If you fear death, then look to Christ who is the author and finisher of your faith. He is the victor over sin and Satan and death. You may have hope by looking to Jesus. And if today you are groaning over the effects of death, if you are groaning as you see that in your own body or the body of your loved ones, You see your own mortality around the corner. Rest in Jesus. He has given you a home forever. Christ himself has prepared it for you. He has clothed you even now in his righteousness. He has clothed you with glory at your death and he will clothe you once more in an immortal body. So 
We will be with him forever. Amen. O God, we do grieve at the parting of loved ones. We groan under the influence of that last great uh, enemy death. But we know that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So we know that this is not the end. This parting is, is brief. The griefs that we suffer are real. But they are momentary. For joy comes in the morning. The day will come when this perishable will put on imperishability, and this mortality will put on immortality. For Christ will come again with a shout and the sound of a great trumpet, and the dead shall be raised, and so we will be with you forever. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Amen. Psalm 116b expresses this hope of everlasting life. Psalm 116b says, I believed, though I am sorely tried, feel the sense of that groaning in this life, but it goes on to say, I will lift salvation's cup, O Lord, and on his name call. Pay my vows to him and know that there is life and everlasting life in Jesus our Savior. Let's sing these by faith. Praising God. Psalm 116b, please stand to sing.